0: It's time for JT the Brick.
1: Cardinals come in, the classic term, a wounded animal. Last time I went against
0: Arizona, he didn't have hurts, and he's pretty dynamic. And, you know, even the young kid that stepped in there, 83, George, I mean, like, he made some plays the other day.
1: This Cardinal game's a big game. Kingsbury looking at his quarterback going, I don't know. Quarterback looking at his coach going, I don't know.
2: I refuse to, to let my work ethic, my preparation be in question.
3: JT the Brick.
1: The Cardinals are playing for their life right now. It's an important game for both franchises. I think Raider Nation's got to show up big at Allegiant Stadium. It's got to be really strong. Everybody's got to be excited about this game. And what the Raiders need to do, I believe, is they have to start fast. And they got to get Derek Carr going. So sort to of review, get your ass together and get to midseason form on this Cardinal game.
0: And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome
1: back. Hour number two of the show. JT right here in beautiful Las Vegas. And we got a big week here in front of us. Man, what a big week as we continue on. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Check out Redtail at Resorts World Las Vegas, the newest property on the Strip. It's a social interactive gaming lounge with sports betting on site live entertainment, dueling pianos, three private karaoke rooms, and plenty of TVs to watch big games, and every major UFC card. And they got something called Sip and Skip at Red Tail. With your Red Tail wristband, you get to go to the front of the line of the Zook nightclub, which is the biggest and most talked about nightclub in the world. So get your pregame on at Resorts World at Red Tail before you go to the nightclub Zook. It's another JT hookup for you. Get you to the front of the line. I don't wait on lines. I was a classic cut-the-line guy as a kid. Now I like, to, I like to move to the front of the line legally. And this is how you could do it over at Redtail. Vinny Bonson, you're at the bottom of the hour waiting on Brad Spielberger. In a few minutes, he'll join us from Pro Football Focus. What a week. You know, the Denver loss really is the big story. There's, there's three huge stories in the NFL. The Dak Prescott thumb injury. Also, what happened to T.J. Watt? He tore his pec, but he's not going to have surgery. And then what Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach of Denver, did, which hopefully helps the Raiders. Because, again, you all freak out about the AFC West. I just count the wins and losses. Raiders get to 10 wins. They're going to the playoffs. Denver already lost a game. That's one game Denver's going to need to get to the playoffs as we look at all of this. So very important that Seattle beat Denver in that first game because it proved that the head coach was clueless as a head coach with down and distance and the clock and timeouts. he would You couldn't do a worse job. I have a new podcast up with Looney, JT and Looney. We dissected the final minute of that game and how Nathaniel Hackett was just in over his head. You can be the smartest assistant football coach out there. We just played a soundbite of Mick Lombardi, son of Mike Lombardi. Mick's a good guy, right? If you made Mick the head coach, God forbid something happened, and he was a head coach for a game, Mick Lombardi would be able to handle down distance the clock and timeouts. Nathaniel Hackett couldn't do it. It was too much for him. That's good to know. The Chargers who beat the Raiders have their coach, Boy Blunder. We ripped on him for going for it on 4th and 18 and the mistakes he's made, but he's got a pretty good roster, and he probably improved on some of the blunders that he made last year. Not every head coach is going to make a mistake every game. There's been some bad coaches in this league who've gotten fired because they can't handle the clock and they can't call plays at the same time. Mike McCarthy, who I like a lot, has evolved into that guy. Mike McCarthy was a hell of a coach. He won a Super Bowl with Green Bay. Now he doesn't call the plays. He's not very good with the clock. He's not good with his timeouts. Like, How did he forget how to do all that? I think that's a strength of Josh McDaniels. He's calm. He's not emotional. He's not baiting the referees. He's just calling plays. You got to execute his playbook. It's a vast playbook, very deep, deep playbook. So you got to be able to win games and be able to use the playbook. A lot of people are like, well, how come the running backs weren't used more, JT? Because they were down 17 to 3. You're the same callers and listeners who complained last year about them running the ball for no reason on first down. I was watching the game with my buddy Tory from Remy Martin over at the Raiders Tavern and Grill, and it was one play, third quarter, where the Raiders ran it, and they got stopped behind the line. He goes, here we go again. I said, no. No, it's not here we go again. Last year, the Raiders ran the ball without purpose. They ran the ball and gave up downs. They basically said to the other team, we're going to run it on first down. You know it. We know what we're going to run it. That's not going to be the case with Josh McDaniels. The guy's got a hell of a playbook, and he knows the weakness and strength of the Raiders. Now, I thought that the Raiders' running game would be important against the Chargers because I didn't think they'd be able to pass-protect great, right, and I was right. So I thought they'd run it a little bit more, but the game got out of control 17-3. to three. And then the Raiders made adjustments at halftime, and they were in the game 17-10. to 10. I just heard someone on NFL Network make a really good point. She said the Raiders had the ball late with an opportunity to win in a game they had no business winning. I don't know if I'd go that far, but when the Raiders were down 17-3, with going against Justin Herbert, they probably had no business winning that game, and they got the ball back with an opportunity to win the game. I don't want to see the Raiders in this Cardinal game get the ball back with an opportunity to win late. That's going to be enormous pressure on Derek Carr, who was paid to handle that type of pressure. But I'd like to see Derek, and I know it's not going to be an easy game. By no means am I saying it's going to be easy. But I'd like that for Derek to have a great game, not a good game, great game. Three touchdowns, no turnovers, 300-plus yards, a lot of emotion, a lot of hugging, hands in the air, everybody excited. I'd like to see Derek get that going before I travel with the team out to Nashville the following week. That's what we want to see. But you can't predict it, right? We all can't sit here and predict how the game's going to go. Fumble, tip ball sack strip sack we got to hope that it goes the raiders way in this game so we got a couple of guests coming in here we'll get to everybody here uh let's go out to jay and monterey to kick off this hour on the raider flagship go ahead
0: jt thanks for taking the call hey man look brother if you want to hook it up why don't i put you in touch with steve john out here and let's get a grimaldi's popping off in in monterey i just had to settle for some taco bell to support to give to my crew how about some grimaldi's out here Hey, listen, I uh, just picked up your show after Passionate called in. And Passionate Raider, brother, you, you're you the epitome of a Raider fan. Love you, man. Keep bringing it. But that's, I, I feel like you were responding to me yesterday after I called and you followed. Listen, nobody's okay looking up to, to San Diego. Nobody's putting in Raider Nation is putting San Diego. Uh, yes, San Diego. On a pedestal, the point is simply giving credit where credit is due. They've done their work. They've made some good choices. They've got a talented roster, and it just is what it is. Um, they're a good squad. That's not an, an, an excuse, or I'm not, certainly yeah. not satisfied to stay, uh, to lose by any standard. We're just yeah. talking about true statements. Mathematically, they get a good squad, and it is what it is. Moving on to DC4. Look, bro, no, look, I'm not a DC, I'm not a Derek Carr apologist. Again, Derek is a known quantity. How many years have we suffered behind swings and misses, bro? Stick with a known commodity, brother. We know what he's going to get you. Three times in his careers, he's thrown three picks three times in nine years. Mm -hmm. I'll take those numbers. Look, it's just basic math. He had a shite game. And, again, any one of them could have. The the real deal is this, uh, brother Passionate. It's game one out of 17. The sky has not fallen. I'm much more concerned Mm -hmm. about the injuries. Yeah, I am about too. this loss, the this loss. This is one loss. I'm worried about six injuries to starters coming out of that game. You know, so, you know, just to, just to wrap it up, love you, Passionate, but just, you know, if, to keep it straight, uh, it's not okay to beat D four through three picks. Uh, you know, okay. and, again, game one, hey, my boy and I, my, my 15-year-old freshman, playing for Salinas out here, and I are going to be out in Section 128. Some good Raiders fan sold me their tickets. Let's get Do there for it. the home opener.
1: Great. Yeah, see you out decided. here, man. Come out and Very see much. me at Thank The Torch, you. man. Appreciate it. I always say, come out and see me at The Torch. We have a lot lined up on the pregame show at The Torch. Let me repeat if you're a new listener. We anchor the pregame, Eric Allen and myself, from The Torch. It is the top location for a pregame show in all the NFL. Okay, I think the shows are better than most of the NFL because of what the Raiders give us. But the site location, you don't see that in Green Bay. My buddy anchors one in other cities. You go to a Niner game, you don't have anywhere near what we have in Vegas. We're at the Torch. So what I'd like you to do is when you're done packing up your tailgate, or if you're not tailgating, come up the escalators, go to that giant circle bar. I think it's the largest circle bar west of Texas. Come there and get a Modelo, get a beer, get a Coors Light, whatever you want to do. Got a lot of sponsors involved with that. And sit back and listen to the pregame show. See us. Eric Allen, take a picture with Eric Allen. I call it the selfie spot. Eric Allen, everyone wants a picture with him. And we hang out there, and that's the spot. So meet us at the Torch if you're looking for something to do on the pregame. And this one's going to be special. we got a couple of really good guests booked live, including the play-by-play boys, Jason Horowitz, who will join us there live. So we're really excited about that. All right, let's get out to Lou in Los Angeles on the Raiders mobile app. Hello, Lou.
2: Hey,
1: what's up? What's
2: up, JT? Hey, JT. You, um, you, know, I've been listening to you for a long, long, long time, man. Um, I just wanted to say this: uh, is that you know, uh, you know, some of the Raider fans get ridiculous after losses. You know, I, and you, you had a right yesterday to kick that guy off. I, I agree with you. That don't even make no sense. Replace Carr and all this other stuff. Raider Nation: half of them like Carr, and you know, half of them don't. Yeah. But and here's the thing: we just got to, after that loss. You know, fans after loss or win, the emotion is so high. Everybody wants to now. If he goes out and and, and kills and does all this stuff against um, against the um, the Cardinals and win and do good, you hear everybody's gonna call call back and give him props. Here's the thing, JT we we the biggest thing and and I disagree with you and McDaniels, mm-hmm. is that you cannot be switching the o line in- mm-hmm in and out of the game. You said it's okay. It's not okay, JT. Who does that? It's now,
1: okay now. It's okay now because they don't have the players. If they had a great right tackle and a great guard, they weren't able to – hold on. They weren't, they weren't able to develop that in the preseason because they had to get off of Leatherwood, and by the time they did, they didn't have the, what they wanted there. So it's kind of still a tryout in a way. It's not the way I would do it or Jim Plunkett's doing it, but why do you think McDaniels is doing it? Uh, McDaniels can't put Dylan Parnam or Thayer Mumford, who never played in an NFL game, and give him four quarters. But but JT, how
2: you gonna get uh, how you gonna get um, the, the 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 starting five? Offen- the offensive line is different from any part of. Yeah, the- I agree. You you need to have everybody on the same page. Let them just play. If if he doesn't do good, just keep coaching coaching up whoever you put there. But you can't. You can't keep putting other players, but, I mean, I don't think it's going to work. If you do that the whole season. I didn't say it's going to work. I never,
1: listen, I never said, and I appreciate the call, it's going to work.
2: I'm talking about McDaniel. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm not saying it's going to work, but I know why they're doing it out of necessity. Uh, uh, Khalil Mack, I won't say dominated because I wasn't at the game, but he won the battle with Colton Miller. Thank God Joey Bosa didn't run over the right tackles and eat their lunch. And get out of that game with four sacks. We've seen Chandler Jones have five sack games at Tennessee. So it's not ideal. And I don't think it's going to be the plan long term. But no doubt here that they didn't carry enough offensive linemen. They don't have enough good ones. They tried to go out there and do it. And it's clear to you and me that Dave Ziegler did not believe that he needed to overspend on an aging offensive lineman or Kelechi Osemeli or a guy who hasn't played in a couple years. They're going to stick with these guys. That's what they're doing. I'm not saying it's ideal. I know what's going on here. That's why you call in, and I run the show, and you tweet. You think I think it's ideal? This offensive line? I never thought it was ideal, but I know what they're dealing with. The priority of the team was to sign Devontae Adams, extend Derek Carr, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. Apologize, everybody. The the philosophy of the team was not to extend those guys and go overpay for offensive linemen. I wish they had better offensive linemen. They got to hope that their draft picks, Dylan Parnham and Thayer Mumford, develop into starters in this league. You know, the other night, very important point, I was just looking for the right time to drop it in. I'm watching the opening of the Seattle-Denver game, and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are on the call, and they open up and say that the Seattle Seahawks are starting two rookie tackles. I said, holy crap. Bradley Chubb on two rookie tackles rookies they did great they gave up a couple of sacks to geno but geno avoided the rush geno did a better job than Derek carr at avoiding sacks and not getting covered sacks now i think that Derek carr is a 10 times better quarterback than geno smith but geno had a pretty good game geno was able to avoid the rush and duck underneath some of the sacks and make moves and was out there and making some pretty good plays downfield i was impressed i didn't think geno had the ability to do that Mike's in Las Vegas. Mike, thanks for calling in. What's happening?
4: Hey, JT. Thanks for taking my call, man. Thank you. Uh,
1: Got a quick little observation, and I'd like to get your opinion on Mm -hmm. it. I know you don't like to speak on other people's behalf, but it seems like Derek is still gun-shy to run the ball Mm -hmm. since he broke his leg. I mean, do you see that as something that could be just lingering somewhere? No, no, here's why. No, here's why. Because he ran the ball really well under Gruden, when he had to, he ran it a lot better last year, and this was week one, and he didn't play at all in the preseason. It's a really good question you're asking, a very fair question, and if this continues for two or three weeks, and he has coverage sacks and he doesn't run and escape outside the pocket, I'd like you to call back on that. I, the, the benefit of the doubt I'm giving Derek is, is that Colton Miller didn't start, uh, play in the preseason, he didn't play in the preseason, they had seven offensive linemen, and he didn't have that itch to take off and run like I know he can. But I'm happy you brought it up because it's a fair criticism of Derek. I mean, I just it just seems like he was just a little hesitant, even to break out of the pocket. We know he's not a running quarterback, but he definitely has the athletic ability to get the three, the
4: four, the five no. yards. You know, even if it's two yards, two yards positive is better than an incomplete pass, an interception, mm-hmm. or the unfortunate sack that's
1: just like I say just an observation stay on hold I want to give him Bobby give him a $50 Grimaldi's gift card right here in Las Vegas it's the best pizza I've ever had I love Grimaldi's I love their salads I love their vibe I love their atmosphere I go to Boca Park $50 Grimaldi gift card for the locals in Vegas with a good point a good phone call adding to the radio show Grimaldi's the best pizza I ever had really appreciate that as we continue Uh, Brad Spielberger coming up here in a minute uh, then Vinny your so we'll get to that here coming up. But again, when it comes to Derek and his ability to run, does everybody understand that he has to run? This is no longer a choice where we have to sit there and question and go, when is he going to run? What's he going to do this year? Is he going to run more? Is he going to do this or that? No more. It's his ninth bleeping year. He's got to run. Like it or not, he's got to run. He's got to run all the time if he's in a chaos situation. So if he's in a really chaotic situation and he's at a point where we're sitting here and we're going, man, you know, that third and three, that third and three, why didn't Derek take off and run? And he took a sack and the Raiders punted and lost the game. If there was a lane for him to run and he didn't run, he'll be open to criticism. If there was nowhere for him to run, then you kind of look at it and say he was cornered. They did a good job. They surrounded him. He couldn't get the ball out. He got sacked. But I'd like to see Derek run because I believe he can run. I'm complimenting Derek. He's a great athlete. He can run. He's in good shape. His knees are fine. He's fine to run. He can run out of bounds. He can make people miss. He wasn't able to do it against the Chargers. He might do it against Arizona. Brad Spielberger kind enough to join us. An analyst with Pro Football Focus. Also knows where the money is as a salary cap analyst. And Brad, I want to begin. I got to go back to Russell Wilson and the money they spent on him. Not to give him the ball on fourth and five, and they decide to kick a field goal for a guy who's now one of, I look at this, I look at the amount of money he's making here over the years here, and the kicker was now one of eight over 60 yards. I can't believe what happened on Monday Night Football. How'd you see it? It's about as bad as it
4: gets from a coaching standpoint. I mean, in that stadium at Lumen Field, kickers are zero and six kicking over fifty-seven yard field goals. So there's never been a field goal that distance made in that stadium. And, and you, like you said, you give up major draft capital. You sign into to a five-year, two hundred and forty-five million dollar contract, and you don't even give them the ball with a minute to go, fourth and five. Just inexcusable coaching decision, right there.
1: All right, so let's walk as. You know, I'm on the on the air live when this happens, and the thing that blew me away is third and 14, the dump pass, where they ended up, you know, getting nine, eight yards, whatever they did to get it to fourth and five. That's what got me because you're playing two downs there. You're, you're running a screen. You're throwing the ball. It's a dump-out pattern instead of running a route with guys like Jerry Judy and the players they had to get up field that would get you in better field goal range or give you a new set of downs. So why did Russell Wilson make that decision there looking at it? Why did he dump off a little dump-off pass instead of moving the pocket, killing time, getting outside the pocket, and waiting for someone to get open?
4: You know, it's a great point because Javante Williams, running back there, broke a couple tackles, and obviously extended it two or three yards more than it probably could have been. Right. When you're doing that, you probably are thinking it's a two-play situation where you're saying, okay, look, we're going for the first down, Let's make the fourth down more manageable. And instead, I guess they, they always thought field goal was the play there. That is a great point, though. I mean, if you if you think field goal is the move, go for the first down or throw it at the sticks and see if you can avoid that and then, you know, think about the field goal after that.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. Brad Spielberg is our guest. I, McManus, I'm out here in the AFC West. I've seen him make big kicks. I mean, at times he's Mr. Automatic. He's not Justin Tucker, but... He's a guy who makes a lot of kicks there. They had to know what what you just said about the career over 57 yards in that building. It's kind of shocking to me because Seattle never had a Hall of Fame type kicker like they had in Baltimore or Venetieri or a big leg guy like Janikowski, who I knew back in the day. So isn't there someone in Hackett's ear? Isn't there someone in his ear saying, coach, he's one for seven uh, above 60 plus. No one's ever made one here. At this length, what are you doing? Like, what's the communication like? Because a lot of time was clicking off the uh, ticking off the clock, and he had timeouts to boot.
4: Yeah, all three timeouts. And look, I think there has to have been someone in his headset. I don't know for certain, but he has been open to you know analytical thinking and and making sure you're going through the entire thought process before making a decision. I can tell you, former players say he is you know into the new age philosophy and wants hear everything, and and they really, they rave about him as just a thinker. Um, Yeah, I would imagine if the analytics guy was on the headset, he was freaking out.
1: Yeah, Brad Spielberg joins us, Pro Football Focus. All right, so let's get into Dak. In in your mind, knowing the cap and knowing how much, let me start off, would, would you agree that, in theory, Jerry Jones vastly overpaid for Dak with the contract and where the market is now, or got him at a fair price considering where the market's going?
4: It is. He didn't overpay when he paid him the $40 million a year. The mistake was Dak had shown you enough after three seasons to extend him, and he could have signed him just in line with his draft class. We saw Carson Wentz and Jared Goff get $33 and $33.5 million per year. Dak Prescott to that point was as good as those guys. I get that Wentz is coming off the Super Bowl. I get that Goff made a Super Bowl, mostly Sean McVay is doing it head coach, but to not do it then, to franchise tag him, and then franchise tag him a second time, you're just it doesn't make any sense at quarterback because you're going to pay the guy. He still got hurt, you know, tore up his ankle, missed the whole season, and they still made him one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. So when he signed the deal, was fine, but the timing was a big failure out of Dallas.
1: You know, I, I thought this. We had some listeners and some callers and some people in the Bay Area are saying, wouldn't Jimmy Garoppolo be great for Dallas in a scenario like this? And I say, no, the Niners need him as a, as a break-the-glass insurance guy because Trey Lance is already 0-1, and I see that thing getting uglier. That's just my opinion. And they're in the NFC, so why would Jed York and the organization do anything to help Jerry Jones? But in theory, what type of backup should the Cowboys have had? What type of? They don't have a backup that's capable of winning six out of seven games or five out of seven games. So what's the mistake that Jerry and Stephen Jones made when they looked at the backup quarterback position? It's become one of the more underrated, important positions in the NFL, and that's your backup quarterback
4: spot, especially if you think you are a contender. I would say if you're a rebuilding team or in a different situation, it's less valuable. But in a weak NFC conference, trying to make the playoffs again in Dallas, Look, they cut Cooper Rush and Ben DiNucci and uh, well, Will Greer. They cut all three guys on cutdown day. And Dak Prescott was actually the only quarterback on their roster before week one. Shows they had no fear that anyone was going to pick these guys up. They now have Cooper Rush back in the building. But smart teams is a good example for you. The Minnesota Vikings, you know, kind of think they're a contender in a similar vein. They traded a seventh-round pick for Nick Mullins. They knew their backups were not good enough, and they know they want to make the playoffs. If Kirk Cousins misses a game or two, Nick Mullins is a heck of a lot better than a Cooper Rush.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. Okay, let's go to the Houston Texans. Hopkins suspended for Arizona. Watson suspended for Cleveland. Oh, what a surprise J.J. Watt hurt again. When you look back at the Houston Texans' and this rebuild and what they got for those players and the direction that they're going in. Are they better? Are they ahead of schedule? How do you see the Texans? How do they look with the cap? How's that rebuild going?
4: It certainly would have helped if they actually got good trade return for Deandre Hopkins instead of David Johnson who's not in the NFL at a second round pick that turned into Ross Blacklock, who they traded to the Minnesota Vikings for, I want to say a seventh round pick before the season began. So You know, and then J.J. Watt, they let him go for nothing. It was a favor, I think, to a Hall of Fame player. But nevertheless, I am a believer in the Texans. I I do believe in their direction. They've still been clearing the books. They took on a lot of dead cap last season, getting rid of players. And then, of course, this year with guys like Deshaun Watson as well. But nevertheless, long answer short, I think signing Jerry Hughes and free agency was one of the better value deals in the NFL at two years, ten million. He was our highest graded defensive player in the entire league this week. Um, had two sacks and just looked dominant against the Colts. So they are trending in the right direction. They got some good young talent, some older veterans now that can establish a foundation. I think they will be. You know, depends on Davis Mills and how he turns out. I thought he was okay against Indianapolis, but I am a believer in Nick Casario going forward.
1: Okay, Brad Spielberg is our guest. T.J. Watt suffered a torn pec muscle, did not tear the tendon. According to Ian Rappaport, it's six weeks of rehab. He could return with no surgery. That's a big deal. But I want to go back to the bizarre game in Cincinnati. Burrow ties the game. They should win on an extra point. You look at the analytics and what happened. I look at it here in Vegas with people from a gaming perspective and all of it. Just insanity that that didn't end in a tie, by the way. And it went down to that final kick for Pittsburgh, and knowing that Pittsburgh is breaking in a new quarterback in Trubisky and will probably go to pick it at some point in time, how much value do you put on that road division win, which could be the difference between Pittsburgh making a wild card or not? It was a huge win, no
4: question. Um, You know, with four interceptions and a forced fumble and still go to overtime, the offense was not good. Mitchell Trubisky averaged about five yards for passing attempts. Najee Harris had 10 carries for 23 yards. Um, so, you know, the defense kind of needs to do that every week, it seems, for them to win football games. And without TJ Watt, who had an 85 pass rush grade, a sack, and an interception in his own right, it's going to be hard to do that the next six weeks. But, you know, think if it's Patrick, who had the pick six early and then blocked that field, or the extra point, excuse me, at the end of the game, just a phenomenal outing for him. That defense is still legitimate. I'm with you. Eventually, Kenny Pickett maybe has to come in. You know, I think it, it, it does matter, but I would still not bet on the Steelers to make the playoffs this year.
1: Hey, Brad Spielberger joins us as we wrap it up. You know, Brad, Derek Carr got the ball back with under five minutes with three interceptions that he's thrown. Ends up getting sacked six times in the game, and they could have won that game late. Very uncharacteristic of Carr to underthrow Waller and Devontae Adams. Those could have been touchdowns, let alone interceptions here. Josh McDaniel's first game, and the Raiders were on the road. Justin Herbert didn't do a lot in the fourth quarter, but he was electric early in that game. What would you take away from the Chargers' victory over the Silver and Black?
4: Yeah, I mean, Carr, we just talked about Burrow. Carr actually was charted with more turnover-worthy plays for us than Joe Burrow. So, Three interceptions, and we had two other passes that were considered you know, dropped interceptions. He also had a ball to Darren Waller in the end zone earlier in the game where he was mm-hmm. so far behind him. It was a walking touchdown. I think they may have still score, but it was just a bad throw from Carr. So, look, you can't afford that when you spend all this draft capital on Devontae Adams, spend all this money on Adams and Waller and Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, and then lose a big divisional matchup. You know, the Chargers, I think, they answered the bell. They, they are a contender. Without J.C. Jackson, their number one corner, Devonta Adams did kind of go off. He, he had 17 targets and played well, but the defense held up. Khalil Mack had three sacks in his debut, and this Thursday game without Keenan Allen now for the Chargers against the Kansas City Chiefs, it's going to be a tough game to win, but if they can pull it off, they're in the driver's seat in that AFC West.
1: Man, Kansas City looked good against Arizona, and we we talked about it before that Mahomes played a lot I, I when I turned the TV on he was playing in the preseason he starts off with five touchdowns and had a really good rhythm when you took a look at that tape how good was Kansas City with the quick ball release Mahomes he looked like he was in pro bowl midseason form
4: yeah they, they are the still the Kansas City Chiefs and I can tell you a couple folks in that building were super optimistic coming into the season and kind of said we get how good Tyreek Hill is But we think that something teams have been doing is keying in on him and Travis Kelsey. We haven't spread the ball around quite enough, and that's been working against us. And and I think they showed that they have three tight ends going. Noah Gray played well. They're number two tight end behind Travis Kelsey. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is still Travis Kelsey. Um, They are a Super Bowl contender. They will be every year with Patrick Mahomes. And I think a lot of teams slept on them and, and gave them some bulletin board material.
1: Uh, leave us with one game you're really looking at, week two. I'm, I got a podcast that dropped. I do this every year. You don't want to be 0-2, man. I mean, Emmett Smith, when Jerry, he sat out there 0-2. Jerry panicked and paid him. Didn't panic, paid him what he should have got. And then the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. That never happens. And 0-2 is a big hole, and there's a lot of good teams and playoff teams that are 0-1. Is there a game you're keeping an eye on? From a gaming perspective, something you think is really unique we should keep an eye on coming up here?
4: Yeah, you know, I think it's also just a, you know, you're in Vegas. I think it's one of my favorite bets of the week before it moves to minus 10. I've seen it at nine and a half at a lot of books. That's the Denver Broncos. Look, they lost, they outgained Seattle by 1.6 yards per play and about 230 total yards in the game. Obviously had two fumbles at the one-yard line. But we're talking about that AFC West division. You can't lose games. You've got to take advantage of games. They're at home in Denver hosting the Houston Texans who went to overtime in a divisional matchup. I think they're going to blow them out. There's a lot of stats about teams traveling to Denver in that altitude in the first two weeks of the season and how poor they perform ATS. I think that is a smash play on the Denver Broncos if you can get it below minus 10.
1: Thank you, Brad. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Always appreciate your content and your time. Thank you. Thank you. Always good. Brad Spielberger, fantastic. And he gave you a pick. We try to give you picks, right? Lee Sterling coming up tomorrow, free picks. He gave you Denver at a blowout over Houston. Bet with your wallet, not with your head. That was brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury because you deserve what's right. Sam and Ashley together, two for one, like two superheroes when it comes to accidents, injuries, and getting you the right representation you need. Sam and Ash Injury because you deserve what's right. I always look forward to talking to Vinny Bonsignor and doing a deep dive. We do that next in preparation of the Cardinal game on Sunday.
0: McManus off the left hash. This thing is going to be no good. It could have been long enough. But it was just to the left of the upright, and the Seahawks are going to win their opener. 15 seconds left to play. Russell Wilson brings his new team, the Broncos, to town on Monday Night Football. Tyler Lockett, the captain, telling players, get off the field. We still have a couple of plays to run.
3: Obviously, I wish we would have gotten
4: a lot closer, but it put us in that weird spot there because we were in the field goal range, but we were on that fourth down situation. Um, Didn't think we were going to get that many yards, so I thought it was a great job by Javante, and uh, we just made the decision. We want to take our shot there uh, on that one.
1: He can't even admit when he's wrong. Like, he kind of admits he's wrong, but then he doubles down on the kicker. JT, back with you, Vinny Bonsignor. Please support all of his partners here. You hear Vinny in the morning, and I heard him today, and I'm thrilled we get him on Wednesday. So, Vinny, you're over at the facility. I heard you guys this morning on the air, and I was the Eddie Barcelli interview I heard, and I was riveted on the performance of Colton Miller. I know he didn't play well, but that was kind of surprising to me, the analysis of Colton Miller, considering the youth on the right side of the line. How'd you see it?
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, um, you know, Colton Miller doesn't typically uh, struggle that way. The last time he had a game um, like that was week 14 last week, last year against the Kansas City Chiefs, one of his very few bad games last year. Um, And he typically, when he does have a sub bar game, he responds with a really good game. Uh, So I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, You know, of, of all the offensive linemen, he was the one offensive lineman that didn't play in the preseason. Maybe that had a little bit to do with it shaking off a little bit of rust in terms of the actual game. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he's a guy that usually responds really well uh, when he has a uh, not-typical Colton Miller game. And I would expect that to be the case uh, on, on Sunday against the Cardinals. And let's also remember, he's not facing the kind of pass rushers that the Chargers have in Joey Bosa and Kahlil
1: When I sat with the coach last Thursday, the injury report was clean. I'm sitting down with them tomorrow. What does this injury report look like? Because they're not going to be, you know, putting out spotlights and telling us every injury. We know how this is run here, rightfully so, around the league. But how many guys are really banged up? Banged up might be able to go, or we're not going to find out until the inactives come out on Sunday at Allegiant.
3: Yeah, um, it's going to be a little dicey uh, this week for for the uh, for the Raiders. Obviously, Andre James wasn't out there at practice today. Uh, Chavon Merrick, uh, was not out there. Uh, Anthony Abritt, we already know, is on the, uh, injured reserve list. Um, so there's, there's some, there's some, uh, DJ Turner wasn't out there, the reserve wide receiver. So, uh, there's some issues that the Raiders are dealing re- with right now. And it happens really quick. That's one of the reasons why sometimes coaches are hesitant to, to play guys in the preseason. If you're going to get hurt, you know, uh, you'd almost rather it be in a, in a game where it actually counts for something. So, um, we'll see about Jayvon Merrick. I know everybody, uh, as Josh McGann was talking about, is working really hard to put themselves in position to play uh, on on Sunday against the Cardinals, uh, but there's not going to be any guarantee that any of those guys are going to be out there. So um, it'll be interesting to see the injury report when it comes out later today because it's going to be fairly extensive.
1: Vinny Monsignor is our guest. You know, Vinny, I wasn't thrilled with the defensive tackles here. I'd like bigger names like Indomic and Sue you're not going to get Aaron Donald. You know how great he is. You covered him when you were covering the Rams. But what do you think? Because the edge rushers, I don't think Chandler Jones had an explosive game, tip your cap to the Chargers. Max got his typical pressures. But your analysis of the interior of that defensive line, especially with Kyler Murray coming to town, where they got to make sure they protect the middle there and he doesn't break through them and get up there and run up middle.
3: Yeah, no question about it. And you also have to play their run. Uh, and I thought that the interior of the defensive line, The whole defense really played the run pretty darn well uh, against the Chargers. And there were adjustments that were made in that second half. Remember, the Chargers only scored seven points in that second half. And going into that game, if you would have said, hey, Raiders, Raider fans, you're going to give up 24 points against this offense uh, based on what you know you have with your offense, 24 points isn't all that bad against the Chargers team, especially seven points in that second half to allow the Raiders' offense to get back into that game. It wasn't a bad performance whatsoever, really, against a really good team uh, defensively. So, um, you know, some of what you see with the the interior of the defensive line, sometimes that's responsibility, too. Um, And especially against a quarterback like Justin Herbert, you don't want to lose contain. So you're trying to create pressure, but also not let him get out uh, and make plays with his legs. So some of that is responsibility and assignment-based. Uh, I think Chandler Jones obviously needs to shake the rust off a little bit. Max Crosby had a really good game, but wasn't able to get to Justin Herbert uh, to get him down to the ground. Uh, Those sacks will start coming for Max Crosby and for Chandler Jones. So uh, I think as a whole, I thought the defensive line played played fairly well, and especially in that second half. Uh,
1: I look at the stats of Perryman, and wow, compared to last year, and I'm looking at him, and Cleve Farrell pretty much had no impact in the game. Uh, let's get an analysis of Perryman from here on out being nicked up and what he has to do in a game like this or what they can expect from him. And look, if Cleve Farrell was going to be left on this roster, I need to know why. Was it salary reasons, what they have, no one available in a trade? I mean, what are we going to see from a couple of these players here that are really important because they're clearly playing their last year with the Raiders if they don't pop and shine pretty quickly here?
3: Yeah, and I think with Clee Farrell, I think the, um, everyone just has to come to reality. He's a reserve player, he's a rotational player on the defensive line. I want to say he got 20 some odd sacks, or sacks, 20 uh, some odd uh, snaps uh, on, on Sunday, including uh, he had a bunch of uh, special team snaps uh, as well. So that's really who he is. And, um, you know, it's not his fault that he was drafted fourth overall. Uh, somebody thought mm-hmm. that he was that player and drafted him at that stage in the draft. That's not his call. Um, and so, you know, he, well, but when you look at it, Malcolm Kuntz only played two snaps. Um, mm-hmm. Tashawn Bauer didn't even dress out for the game. He was on the inactive list. So uh, the, fact that, the fact that Klee was dressed out um, and played above both Bauer and, and Malcolm Kuntz tells you what they think about Klee Farrell and what he brings in, the, in that reserve role. Um, he's not going to be a guy that's going to come up with big numbers sack-wise um, I thought he had some uh, some decent plays in the, in the run game and run defense, uh, but again, uh, if, if if anyone has any high high expectations of him at this point, uh, I think they need to just readjust that. He's a guy that comes off the bench, spells Chandler Jones, spells Max Crosby, um, and 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 basically that's that's it at this point.
1: Wrapping up with Benny Bonsignor. All right, let's get to Derek Carr. So, you know, I said this on the post game immediately following the game. I don't think he made bad decisions. I think he made bad throws and I just brought that up with Jim Plunkett who joined us earlier and I'm all right with that he you can look at it a whole bunch of ways you can say he didn't play enough in the preseason he didn't have the touch he missed Devontae who was clearly deep and if if Devontae gets a 50-50 ball there he catches it period and if if it's thrown correctly it's a touchdown Darren broke through containment and I think Darren would have got brought down after the catch but Waller had a potential touchdown or a big gain and then the Renfro throw I thought that was a bad decision because there was backside tackling coming at Renfro, and he just threw it to the other team there. So as you graded Derek Carr and looked at each quarter, the fact that he got the ball back late in the game with an opportunity to win, what's your analysis of the Raiders quarterback?
3: Yeah, um, he'd be the first to tell you, um, and there's no other way to to say it. He didn't have a a Derek Carr game. You know, uh, I thought that Samuel Jr. makes a great play. Uh, on the interception, uh, on the on the throw to Devonte Adams over by the goal line. Uh, sometimes you got to tip your cap, but again, he underthrew it as well. So I think that that you know part of it with, with he and Devonte, they're still kind of working out uh, some kinks. It's not going to be perfect uh, in the reg- in the first game of the regular season. That's something that you would expect, you know, uh, Derek and Devonte to continue to work on and get better at. Uh, but there was also some bad decisions, like you said, and just some bad throws. Uh, a couple in particular that led to interceptions, and here's the thing. That was the first time, I think since 2018, uh, since Derek Carr has, has, uh, had had three interceptions. Uh, i got to check the math on that. But it's, it's very, uh, it's few and far between when he turns it over that many times. So uh, I would expect, much like Colton Miller, uh, that he's going to have a bounce-back game on Sunday against the Cardinals. And another part of that is, you know, re-watching that tape, the Chargers' defensive blacks they just played a hell of a game. Yeah, you have to sometimes did. tip your cap as well. Uh, there was there was really good coverage uh, when you have a Derwin James and the kind of guy that they have back there. They're going to make uh, your afternoon a little bit difficult. Uh, I still felt like, in spite of it all, the Raiders played themselves into a, into an opportunity to win that game at the end. Uh, and so, if you're looking at positives, and you have to, you can't just beat yourself, as, mm. as, as Darren Waller said, you know, over the head with with a sledgehammer. You got to take some positives from it, and there are plenty of positives to take away from that game, including, and probably most importantly, the mistakes that happen or or what happened, all of them them are correctable.
1: All right, Vinny, leave us with what's something that we should really focus on with the Cardinals' matchup, especially Kyler Murray outside the pocket, and what you're concerned about and what the Raiders really need to tighten up going into the home opener.
3: Well, you know, and I'm probably going to write about this, I think what the Raiders need to do, and this got away from them on Sunday, is play the game on their terms. And part of that is establishing a lead, uh, letting the run game, you know, evolve and, and emerge uh, because that's a big part of this offense. They weren't able to really get to it because the score sort of dictated it and, and some, of the the, some of the way those early drives played out dictated it. So it's, in a bigger picture, um, I think the defense is fine. Obviously, they're going to have to work through some injuries. But more, most importantly, uh, offensively, Play the game more on their terms, and part of that is getting a lead early and being able to dictate those terms rather than have what happened on Sunday where they weren't playing their game. They were playing catch-up and had to adjust their game plan to play catch-up as opposed to playing with a lead and then playing their type of game.
1: All right, Vinny, tell us what you're doing with your partners, what you're doing out on the town, what you're doing in preparation for a big home weekend here. we got the Canelo Triple G fight. we got remotes. we got a big opportunity. Raiders only have one opening weekend. What do you got planned?
3: Yeah, we're over at uh, Pub365 on Saturday starting at 4 o'clock, and it's a huge event uh, uh, being thrown by, by the Tuscany Suites uh, and, and, and casinos. We're going to have Rod Martin going to be out there. We're going to have a Madden tournament. Uh, they're going to have uh, a car show, music, live performances, uh, and of course, all the college football that, that we can watch or that you can watch. I'll be out there uh, as well. So, uh, Saturday, 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. over at Pub 365 and the Tuscany Suites and Casino over at their, their parking lot. A huge event. If you want to meet uh, Rod Martin, uh, check us out. I'll be putting some information out there, but it's going to be a great event to start off the season.
1: Yeah, Rod's the best. Look forward to it, Vinny. Thanks. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Appreciate you.
3: You got it. Take care.
1: All right, Vinny Bonson, good insider segment there. One of our insiders in our rotation, Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5. He'll join us tomorrow. Pretty big week for us. Steve Mariucci, Matt Millen, Jim Plunkett, and then what we have lined up at the Torch on game day on Sunday and our insiders the rest of the week. For us, Friday will be at Cafe Americano right outside of Caesars. Last time we were there, I was blown away. We had a really nice turnout, and I hope we can again. That's Friday from noon to 2, Cafe Americano, right outside of Caesars. It's at Caesars. You can get it from the inside, but if you come from the outside of the strip, you'll run right into it, and I think you'll love the location. You'll love the ice-cold Modellos. When we come back, Giselle Bündchen is busting Tom Brady's blank. Really? Giselle's going to pull this on the goat? The, goat, the goat's the goat got to deal with his Brazilian swimsuit model, wife. When we come back, I'll tell you what I think Tom Brady should do. And I think he should do it. Get ahead of this. Happy wife, happy life. But when you got a whack job for a wife, get out. That's what my friends have said since I've been 16. You got a whack job for a partner, get out. It's only getting worse. My advice to Tom Brady next.
0: Plum still has it. Pass to
1: Hamby. Give and go to Asia Wilson. It went Plum, Hamby, Wilson, Bucket, 82-62. T.C. Martin on the call. Aces win. Aces win. They're one away from a world championship. No need to congratulate anybody just yet. Win it all. And we will party in Vegas, and it'll be great for my friend Mark Davis, my boss, everyone over there, Larry Delson, the entire vast group over at the Aces. A lot of people, as you know, connected to the Raiders. Mark Davis owns the Raiders and the Aces, so everybody should be pulling for him if you're a Raider fan. And, Bobby, we got the Greg Popovich sound I want to play this, Becky Hammond, Greg Popovich in the locker room. Greg Popovich is a legendary Hall of Famer. For him to be out here, for him to be out here, listen to this, his pop. No. I always do what she says. Yeah, so that's right. That's what i What are you doing, Joe? <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I, I, I don't know. What, you, know I'm, you don't need me,
4: that's for sure. But it was great watching you guys play. It's been great watching you on TV. And the way you execute. The way you play physically, it's it's just beautiful to watch, honestly. no, You you just play great basketball, and it's about consistency. So, so you got to keep it going. And for me, I always tell my teams the sweetest wins are which ones?
1: The ones on the road. The ones on the road, baby.
4: <laughs> the ones on the road, and that's where you're going. They're the sweetest.
1: Absolutely, Greg Popovich. For Tom Brady and Giselle, If Tom Brady gets another 22-year-old Brazilian swimsuit model, then that'll be the ultimate. That'll be the ultimate goat. Giselle is serious, going to page six in the New York, not happy with her husband, Tom Brady? Come on. Tom Brady's the greatest football player to ever play football. He's got to deal with that noise now? Stop it, Giselle. Support your husband or walk out. And then Tom will go down to Brazil and find another 22-year-old Brazilian swimsuit model. I'm amazed by that story. I thought that story would go away. It is getting big because Page Six in New York now have something they can latch on to. Howard Balzer, Cardinals insider tomorrow. Kevin Bollinger, we're in preparation of the Arizona Cardinal game on Sunday. Thanks, Bobby. Great show today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cue on deck.